This is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. There are more women than ever right now serving in Congress, and there are more women who have raised their hands to say they want to run for president in 2020 than ever before. Rather than just the year of the woman, which was said about politics way back in 1992, this now seems to be a fundamental shift in American politics, one that redefines, maybe permanently, the way we see leadership and strength. That's where we want to continue the conversation on Detroit today with the idea of women and politics in record numbers and what it means to our ideas of who should be in charge and how that leadership reflects our priorities. Joining us to talk more about that is Debbie Walsh. She is the director of the Center for American Women and Politics at Rutgers University. Debbie Walsh, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks for having me. So this seems like a very dramatic change from just a couple of years ago when it comes to women running for president, for instance. Uh, Hillary Clinton won the nomination in 2016, but she was really the only woman in that field Now there are at least six women running in 2020. Tell us why we've seen such a dramatic change in such a short time. Well, I don't think it is in such a short time. I think this has been an evolutionary process, and I really appreciated the fact that you talked about uh, 2018 not just as a year of the woman when we elected, saw so many women running for office across the board and saw such record numbers of women getting in because... I cringe at the year of the woman concept because it all, always makes it sound like these things happen in a moment. Right. We're going to do um, that, and then we're going to yeah. move on to something else. And then, right? <laughs> and then we have fixed the problem. And you referenced 1992, which was one of the many years of the woman that we've been uh, uh, given occasionally. Uh, and in that one, yes, we almost doubled the number of women in the U.S. House, but at the end of the day, women only made up 10% of the members of Congress. Um, so this is an evolutionary process. Um, we've had women running for president for many years. Hillary Clinton was, I think, in many ways, the first viable woman candidate for president that we have seen. Um, it took two times before she got the nomination. Um, but I think that opens doors. And I think we are seeing, as, as you describe it, a shift and a change in the idea of who can lead. You know, what does a leader look like? And I think it's still, politics is still very gendered and it's very male, um, but I think it is changing and it is shifting, and I think we saw that in 2018, Mm. and we're continuing to see it now. And so when you have this number of women in Congress, when you have this number of women in the field for president in 2020, what else changes in your mind? What are the things that we see that that we wouldn't have seen before that many women were part of the conversation? Well, I think I think there are the ways in which they are running has, is changing, and then I think the way they govern um, changes things. So, in terms of policy and governing, um, we know from research that we've done at the Center for American Women and Politics, when we look particularly at state legislatures, but also at Congress. Um, that women bring, just as everybody does, but women bring their life experiences uh, to politics and to policymaking, um, as does everyone. And the fact that women's lives are different, that their experiences are different, shapes the policy priorities that they have when they serve. 
And so we have found that women are more likely to have as priorities issues that affect women, families, and children. Um, But they see all policy through that gendered lens. They may see, in fact, the differential impact that a policy may have on a woman's life, on the life of children, on families. Um, But we also know that women tend to believe that government should operate more transparently, more in the open. They are more inclusive, and they see themselves as people in office who have a responsibility to represent voices of groups of people that aren't always at the table. And that's not just women, but also people of color, low-income folks. So it is really about opening up the process and representing folks that don't always have a voice um, when it comes to making public policy. And then finally, we have found that women are more likely to work across the aisle. They seem to have a, a sense of how they can work more collaboratively. And and we think that that stems from their motivations for running. We have found over the years that women are much more likely to run because of a policy issue. When we ask women and men who serve in state legislatures, what made you run the very first time? Um, Women are more likely to tell us it was because of a policy issue, a problem they wanted to fix. And men tell us that it's a long-time interest in politics or a career in politics. Our shorthand for that is women run to do something and men run to be somebody. Hmm. Well, if you're running to do something and you want to fix a problem, you figure out the ways you can do that. And working across the aisle may be a very effective way of getting things done. So that's the ways in which we think women change the nature of these institutions and open up the process um, when they serve. So, so at the same time, we see the reaction from outside these political bodies, so outside of Congress and outside of the presidency, we see people respond to women, I think, differently than they do to men, and the press in particular, I think, responds differently to women. Can you talk about what we've seen so far with sure. the response to the number of women in Congress? That, yeah, that... you know, I think I think there are ways in which they respond to women differently in in good ways and in bad ways, right? So I think I think the public has been responding very well to women in the sense that I think women symbolize change, and I think the election that we saw in 2018 was in large part about change. Um, it was um, about how can, we, how can we change these institutions, how can we um, make sure that new voices are part of the story and part of the, the making of public policy. And I think women symbolize that, women and people of color. Um, and so I think in that way, folks were really responding, voters were really responding to these women candidates. And I think these women candidates unlike in the past, were telling their stories in different ways. Uh, I think in the past, the, the formula for women candidates has been don't share your vulnerabilities. Just you know, try to talk about your resume, talk about the things that you've accomplished, wear your suit, and, and, and kind of keep your head down. Uh, don't talk about your kids because people are going to ask you who's taking care of your kids uh, um, if you actually were to get elected. These were all the warnings, and this was constraining women. But I think in 2018, we saw women really telling their stories, um, talking about their vulnerabilities, talking about their own student loan debt or 
the fact that they were gay, the fact that their families had um, had issues of uh, substance abuse. They were talking about their full lives and telling their full stories and being real with voters. And I think voters really resonated with that. I think we will are waiting to see how that plays out for women who run for the presidency. The presidency is still the the sort of last bastion uh, where women have not been able to break through, and it is that chief executive to be the head of the most powerful country in the world that is still a totally male image of who can lead. Uh, so that's we'll see how women sort of uh, navigate that territory. Uh, but I think the media has come a long way um, from certainly from when Hillary Clinton first ran for the presidency, and there were all kinds of, you know, remarks on cable television in particular about, you know, every time I hear her voice, I have to cross my legs, or when 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 men hear her voice, they they hear their wives saying, "Take out the garbage." They don't hear what she's saying. These were the kinds of things that people felt quite free to say and talk about. Um, There still was clearly misogyny in in the coverage, but also in the campaign of her opponent last time around. Um, And I think the women who are going to run this time have the benefit of a bit of a roadmap, uh, having watched Hillary Clinton run um, and having seen some of the pitfalls and some of the problems. I think when... Hillary Clinton writes about the campaign in in her book, uh, What Happened. She talks particularly about that last debate where Donald Trump was kind of hovering around her um, while she was trying to speak. And she she writes how she made a conscious decision to not turn around and say anything to him but try to ignore him. But in retrospect, she wonders if she made a mistake there. Uh, I think all of these kinds of... Um, lessons learned, we will see the women who are running this time around take stock of and be careful of and think about. Um, But I also think that, you know, unfortunately, much of the, the sort of the preconceived notions about who can lead and some of the sexist comments about is she likable? Is she? Um, what is she wearing? What about her voice? A lot of that is going to still be out there, and these women are going to have to contend with that. This is Detroit Today, and my guest is Debbie Walsh, director of the Center for American Women and Politics at Rutgers. We're talking about the record number of women serving in national politics at this point, more women in Congress than ever before. More women than ever before have raised their hands and said, hey, I'm going to take a shot at the presidency in 2020. Uh, what does that mean uh, for politics? What does that mean for leadership? What does that mean about for the way we see all of those things in government and politics in this country? If you want to join the conversation, give us a call. Tell us, do you sense that something has changed in politics now more than now that more women are running for and winning high office? Are you excited about the growing number of women in politics? you think you'll vote for a woman for president in 2020? Do you think gender or sex matters for candidates? As always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there. Or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll try to work you into the conversation. Uh, we especially want to hear from 
women in uh, this segment. Do you think gender or sex matters for candidates? Uh, is this one of the things that uh, helps you feel more empowered or uh, more a part of American politics, seeing more women in Congress, seeing more women say they would like to be president? Uh, what effect does this have on you as a woman? Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is that number on the phones. Let's start with some social media comments. Uh, Jacob on Facebook says, gender, race, and age are only important to those who elevate immutable characteristics above individual achievement. Such people deserve the leaders they choose. Uh, Randy on Facebook says, give me some substance. Give me a platform. Give me an ideology I can get behind. I don't care if you're a young woman, a middle-aged black man, or an old white dude. I love that gender and racial diversity is quickly becoming the norm, but please stand for something. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Let's start with Ed in Detroit. Ed, welcome to Detroit Today. Yes, a great program, Thanks. as usual. Uh, if we count the women who served in some local offices, and uh, there were admittedly only a handful in some of the northwestern territories in the late 19th century, women have served in state and local offices now for more than a century. Women have served in, in uh, the United States Congress, most of them in the early days by appointment, uh, for almost a century. Uh, in 08, Hillary Clinton said to her supporters at the Democratic National Convention that she and they had put cracks in the glass ceiling. In 18, I mean, sorry, uh, 16, uh, she actually broke the glass ceiling. She demonstrated that a woman could, in a national election for president, win more votes than a man. That had never happened before, obviously. There were women from minor parties who had been nominees for president. Two major party women had been nominees for vice president, but she was the first woman from a major party to be the nominee for president. And I think that while when I was younger, I said I would never live to see a black person become president. Hmm. I have a feeling if I can hold on for 10 or 15 more years, <laughs> I will see a woman become president of this country sooner rather than later. Hmm. Ed, I really, I, really appreciate the, I really appreciate the call and the comments. Uh, Debbie Walsh, how close are we to breaking that barrier? Well, um, we're certainly one of the things that we know is that if we don't have women running, we're not going to see women get elected. So the fact that we have so many women running this time around is so encouraging. Um, but I, too, hope that I live to get to see a woman um, in the White House, not as First Lady, but as President of the United States. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm always loath to, to do the crystal ball predicting, but as I say, it's not going to happen unless women are running, and certainly seeing this record number of women stepping up and saying they want to run, many of whom are, you know, very serious contenders. And I would like to say in response to some of those uh, social media posts, all of them running with substantive platforms. You know, we're not talking about 
um, women for the sake of women. We're talking about women running who are running with purpose and with uh, and with platforms and ideas and plans um, and agendas. Um, the women who ran for Congress this last time around ran um, because they wanted to see change, they wanted to have their voices heard, and they were running about very specific policy issues that mattered to voters. Yeah. Uh, again, uh, thanks very much, Ed, for the call and the comments. Uh, let's go to Lisa next in Detroit. Lisa, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi there. Thank you. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I just, after you said, does anyone have anything to say about that? I was driving <laughs> in my car and I'm like, uh, hell yeah, I, I do. got something to say. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't even know what it is. It's just that um, I think, yeah, this this momentum and I see women taking kind of control over things and really getting their voices out there and heard for like the right reasons. I mean, it's all about the future, the future generations, you know, and I think that it's important. I think women, you know, see more of the nation as a whole. They see the future. They hold the future. I mean, we're, you know, we're raising families. We're in the workplace. We're everywhere now. And I think that yeah, it's about time that we're being heard finally, because I think that we're looking out for everybody, you know, everyone's best interests over, and we've had a lot more experience to go with that just because of um, the fact that we're, we haven't been as present. And And it's not just because we don't want to. I think it's because we're, to a certain extent, always kind of put in a certain place. As women, yeah, uh, so. Lisa. Lisa, I wonder if you can talk about uh, how you make uh, your decisions when you go to the ballot box. When uh-huh. when when there's a woman uh, on the ballot, uh, does that does that help you make your choice? Does that inspire uh, one choice over another? Or are you looking more at, at at policy, as some of the the social media commenters have have talked about? Yeah, I don't think I would um, necessarily vote. Um, just based on gender, but I do believe that I, I, I especially look more towards, yeah, what women's policies are, and I tend to more agree with them on a larger scale, but I'm still, I'm still going to, I think, I don't know, that's a hard question. (laughs) (laughs) I, I, uh, I do think that, um, I wouldn't vote based on gender, but I do feel like there's a greater, um, scope you know, women hold a greater scope for what's better for all everyone. And I guess maybe I would prefer that then over um, policy. Right. Right. Uh, Lisa, I, I appreciate the call. And, and of course, the candor there. Uh, Debbie Walsh, uh, respond to what Lisa's saying there about yeah, how she uh, makes well, choices. Well, first of all, um, you know, what she's talking about is so much of what we saw this last time around in the election, which is women stepping up, not waiting to be asked to run. In the past, we have found that women are more likely to run when they're recruited, whereas men um, are less, don't really need that kind of ask, the recruitment from the party. This time around, we did see women who were stepping up and saying, you know, I bring a lot to the table. I'm not happy with the way things are going, and I am gonna, I'm going to run for office. But we also know that women voters, they don't vote based on gender. Um, they're driven by policy, just the way male voters are. And, and I think that the women who ran in 2018 ran on policy. They didn't run on their gender per se, although 
they definitely talked about the fact that it was significant and that they brought something different to the table because they were women, but they were running on policy. And I think that's really important to remember. Um, and, and I think one of the other things that I think is important to remember is that folks largely vote party. And one of the things we did see in this last election cycle, while we saw a tremendous surge in the number of women candidates and women getting elected, it was almost exclusively on the Democratic side. Um, there was a, a, a freshman class um, in the U.S. House of uh, 37 women. Um, 36 of them were Democrats, one newly elected Republican woman uh, to the U.S. House. Um, we are not going to get to political parity for women in these institutions if only one party is electing women. So there's still much work to be done, but particularly on the Republican side. Okay, Debbie Walsh, director of the Center for American Women in Politics at Rutgers. Really great to have you here with us on Detroit Today. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Up next, we're going to talk about the expectations we have for women in positions of power, considering the dust-up last week over Governor, Witcher, Governor Whitmer's dress during the State of the State Address. Uh, stay with us, and stay with us on the phones. David in Gross Point, Mahendra in Novi. We'll get to you if you want to join them. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. This is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for joining us. After the State of the State address last week, there was a lot of talk about Governor Gretchen Whitmer's dress rather than her words. Local television station Fox 2 even did a story about it, asking random citizens about her clothes and reporting their sometimes lewd comments. It all seemed out of place, like something maybe from a bygone era when the idea of women in politics was new. And it raises important questions about how we still see women in leadership roles and what they have to face that men never have to face. Joining us now to talk more about these developments in the expansion of gender diversity in politics is Susan Demas. She is the editor-in-chief and chief columnist of the Michigan Advance. She wrote the first big uh, clapback to Fox 2 News stories about Gretchen Whitmer's state-of-the-state speech dress that sparked national and international attention. Susan Demas, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks for having me. Sure. So what does this episode say about where we are as a state and a country when it comes to our expectations of women in positions of power, I think a lot of people were taken aback by the focus after the speech on the governor's dress. Yeah, well, I think that it does show that there has been progress because it was just a trashy TV station in Detroit that did this story. It wasn't like this was a staple of coverage. And it quickly got called out by the Washington Post CNN did an entire segment on it over the weekend. So to me, that's a very positive sign. Uh, and and uh, you covered Whitmer for years in the state Senate. Did you get the sense that this was something that she has dealt with a lot in her political career or and is kind of used to, to, to rebuffing? I mean, she had a, 
a pretty, I thought, uh, appropriate and quick response to this Fox Two story. Uh, is this something she's had to fight though uh, the entire time she's been to Lansing? I think that women in politics do have to deal with these kinds of sexist and superficial stories. Um, you know, periodically there are blogs that do their list of hottest female politicians. You know, so she's dealt with this before. Um, and I think that's always the instinct of women in politics to try and ignore this type of thing, you know, when you see a story like that. But I, I think that she made the call to actually call it out on Twitter because she wanted to make a broader point. She wanted to tell other women that she has their back, and she wanted to draw a line in the sand for anybody else who wants to cover her dress or, quote, anonymous people who want to talk about her body parts instead of her agenda. Mm. Uh, Again, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. What do you make of the reaction to Governor Gretchen Whitmer's address during the State of the State address? What did it tell you about our attitudes toward women in power? Do you think we're making progress in the way we view women in politics? You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit today, and we'll try to work you into the conversation. Let's go to Mary in Oxford. Mary, welcome to Thank Detroit you. today. Um, I do not think this issue is gender specific. I think if Governor Snyder had walked out to the podium in a suit that was two or three sizes too small, and the buttons were ready to pop on his jacket, and his sleeves were four inches too short, you better believe it, people would be talking about it and writing about it. This was just a bad judgment on Governor Whitmer's part. I felt badly for her as a woman. She wore an ill-fitting, unbecoming dress. The dress was beautiful, the style, the color. It wasn't the right size. It was a bad choice. Hmm. So, so Mary, do you, even accounting for that, do you really think that a man would have been subjected to the same kind of response and, and ridicule as, as the governor was? Absolutely. Uh, the way I described it, if, if it was an equal situation where a man came out in something that was so tight, you know, you were just waiting for the buttons to pop off and the sleeves were way too short and he wore some kind of outrageous tie, of course people would talk about it and write about it and make fun of it. Hmm. So, uh, Mary, I really appreciate uh, the call and, and the comments. Uh, so, so, Susan Nemus, we had a conversation about all of this in the, in the newsroom here at WDET last week. And, and uh, the, there's no question that what Governor Whitmer wore to the State of the State Address is different than what we have seen, for instance, Governor Granholm uh, wear during, during those addresses. I mean, if you look back at the eight years she was in office. She didn't. She didn't wear clothes that that uh, that drew as much attention, I guess, to her her physical form as Governor Whitmer did. At the same time, uh, you know, men sometimes appear in public with with ill fitting clothes, and I don't see the same kind of reaction. I wonder. I wonder what you think about what Mary is saying, though, uh, about this just being a poor choice on the governor's part. I think that Mary just illustrated the concept of slut-shaming better than anybody else I've heard in a long time. And she's also demonstrated that this is not just a problem for men who make sexist comments. A lot of times we have to hear it from women women as well. 
Um, as somebody who has been in the public eye far less than Governor Whitmer or Governor Granholm, but has done my fair share of TV, I can't tell you how many people have found it appropriate to, to critique how long my hair is, even my body parts, my choice of shoes. And it's really offensive because none of my male colleagues have ever had to go through any of that. So um, I'm sorry that Mary didn't like the dress. I thought it was beautiful. Um, but I thought that was completely besides the point of what the governor said. And there's absolutely no way that if uh, Governor Snyder had shown up in a suit that didn't fit him, that anyone would have cared. I, we certainly wouldn't have seen a story on television about it. Uh, and, and, and I think even the social media reaction to it would have been, would have been very different. There's no question that, that this is very gendered, uh, I think. Uh, but I think that there are a lot of people who, who, uh, who see it, uh, who want to see it. In, in non-gendered terms, and uh, sometimes that uh, that takes over. Again, Mary, I really appreciate the, the, the call and the comments. Let's go to Miriam in Ann Arbor. Miriam, welcome to Detroit Today. Oh, thank you. I just love your show. Thank you. I, um, I'm a big supporter of Governor Whitmer, but I'm really shocked at this choice. I mean, I haven't followed her dress in the past, but that dress, I would never have worn to work. It was very revealing. It's not a matter of not fitting. It was really a, a bad choice, and I think uh, I think women do have inappropriate scrutiny of what they wear. Certainly, she knew that. So I just can't understand where that choice came from. Huh, huh. <laughs> Thank you, uh, uh, Miriam. Again, I appreciate the call and the comment, uh, Susan Nemus. There's yet another woman who's who's not sure about this choice. Uh, when when women criticize uh, something like this, is it always about gender? Or is it or are they really looking at? Hey, this was not a, this was not a fashion choice that I would choose or defend. I don't know what their intentions are. I just know that we spend no time talking about the fact that, you know, Donald Trump doesn't seem to fit into anything he wears. <laughs> right. And I don't think anybody really wants to talk about Donald Trump's appearance. I'm totally fine with that. But, you know, anyone who thinks that we don't respond differently to people based on their gender or their race, for instance, is really in denial. It, it's often subconscious. But um, we do respond very differently to people's behaviors based on characteristics like that. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's probably a good time to start having that conversation with so many women and people of color who are running for president this year. Mm, yeah, right. I mean, you're, you're going to see these double standards play out in a much more uh, inflected uh, way over the next uh, 18 months or so as we run up to November of 2020. Uh, let's go to Ray in Woodhaven. Ray. Welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, thank you for having me. Sure. Uh, just a direct uh, comment from uh, Mary who called in earlier about if we had a politician who wore an ill-fitting suit that everybody would be talking about it. Um, I don't know if Mary was being self-aware or not, but um, we have a president who wears a poorly fitting suit on a daily basis with a tie that drags on the floor. <laughs> um, and the only people that talk about it are late-night comedians. You don't see even... Uh, rag versions of Fox bringing it up. 
Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right about the president's clothes not fitting. I can think of some other male politicians who've had trouble with, you know, professional dress in the, in their roles. And we don't see the same kind of uh, reaction. Ray, I really appreciate the call uh, and the and the comments. Uh, let's go to Abdul and Frazier. Abdul, welcome to Detroit today. Good morning. Good morning, Stephen. How are you? Good. How are you? Um, I have two things to say. It'll be very quick because I know you have other people. First off, as far as the woman running for president, we need a change. Men been in charge all this time. We ain't did a dang on thing to make <laughs> nothing better. Few men get in there, they do their job. But most of them, it's time to change. We got people been in there 100 years, seem like. Time for a change. Second thing is, doesn't matter if you're a man or woman. When you get in that position, you have to be proper. You have to come to the forefront with respect, and you'll get respect. But if you come there with disrespect of yourself, you're going to hear some rumble. People are going to talk. People are going to talk if you come there properly dressed. But the best thing is, I'd rather be talked about being proper dressed than being half dressed. So, Abdul, you did you – did oh, hold huh? on, Abdul, before you go. Did you think that – uh, the governor was dressed inappropriately for her. I hadn't speech? even seen what she had on oh, because okay. I worked so much. I thought she was <laughs> I haven't. I didn't see it, but it's just the way I was raised. Yeah. You know, my mother, my father was very strict on how we dress. Yeah. You know, that's like the suits the men wear today. Me and you wouldn't wear no tight suits like that. <laughs> right. We didn't come from that era. Uh, it's really true, Abdul. I appreciate the call and the comments, uh, Susan. I've got about thirty seconds left, but. But I think one of the things that the calls reflect here is that there there are some sort of cultural differences that elicit reactions, uh, culture in terms of age or race, that 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 explains some of what we're hearing about what the governor wore to the address. We're used to seeing a certain mold of politicians, and it's usually an old white guy. Right. That's changing, <laughs> and the way that people dress is changing. And, you know, I think it's up to all of us to keep up a little bit. Okay, Susan Demas, uh, editor-in-chief, chief columnist for the Michigan Advance. Always great to have you with us here on Detroit Today. All right, uh, that's going to do it for us today. I will be back tomorrow. I hope you will, too. If you missed any of today's show, you can hear it and all other past editions of Detroit Today on the Detroit Today podcast. You just download and subscribe on iTunes or wherever podcasts are available. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's public radio station, a community service of Wayne State University. We'll see you tomorrow.